Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. We've all heard how our nation's healthcare workers are putting their lives on the line each and every day in the fight against COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. Our guests today on the Cuse Conversations podcast are Isaac Budman and Stephanie Keefe, Syracuse University alumni who are pitching in and doing their part to help keep our healthcare workers safe as they serve on the front lines of the efforts to contain this virus. Their company, Budman Industries, is ratcheting up their 3D printers for a greater good, producing face shields to protect our healthcare workers. What started off as a local effort to produce 300 face shields for Central New York healthcare workers has stretched around the world. Budman Industries is providing digital instructions for printing various components of these face shields on its website, budman.com, while connecting 3D printing enthusiasts with hospitals around the world. To date, more than 240,000 requests have come in from people who want to help. Beginning on Tuesday, Budman Industries will also produce and deliver 1,000 face shields locally per day to at-risk healthcare workers across central and upstate New York. Take a listen to our latest podcast and hear this story of how these two alumni are responding to a pandemic in order to save lives. Isaac and Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Cuse Conversations podcast today. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. We get to spotlight Syracuse University alumni who are making a difference in their communities. And right now, at this given moment, with the severity of COVID-19, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a topic that is more pertinent and relevant uh, to our alumni than helping keep our health workers safe uh, and protected who are putting their lives on the line to uh, to make sure that you know citizens are safe uh, when it comes from the coronavirus. The effort with these face shields has been remarkable. It's been incredible. It's a global response that originates with a local company. Isaac, how did this idea come together for Budman Industries to produce these face shields? Um, well, so normally, John, we manufacture 3D printers. That's our that's our happy place. Um, and as of this, uh, as of a month ago, we actually received our first patent on a large-scale machine that we were hoping to release later this year. Um, and when Stephanie and I started sending out quotes, um, you know, we are very proud of the fact that we're able to produce about 70% of our machines here in the United States. Um, and we're very happy to work with our global partners. And so we had sent some quotes out to China at the end of January for um, some electronics. And we got these emails back from our factory reps there who said, our factory shut down. We can't, we can't send you a quote. We can't give you a lead time. The factories are shut down because of COVID-19. Um, and Steph and I looked at each other and we sort of realized in that moment that we weren't really grasping how severe this thing was going to be. Um, and so we started to follow it through the news. And as it, as it did make its way to America, um, you know, it, it, just like in China, the epicenters of this pandemic have been the major metropolitan areas. And so we know most of the resources have to go there. And when County Executive Ryan McMahon stepped up and said, we're going to be opening a testing center here in Syracuse, um, we had looked at the PPE shortages going to the metropolitan areas, and we thought, hey, I, I bet we could donate something here to help. Um, 
And we started going through all the different personal protective equipment because there's a lot of it, um, a lot of different varieties. And so we were trying to figure out what we could do with our machines that we have and what's available to us to sort of um, step up and help our community. And we found the face shield and we thought that was a good candidate for 3D printing. Um, you know, the, you could use a rigid piece of plastic at the top, which is what 3D printers excel at. And then just some off the shelf stuff to assemble something that could meet the needs of the healthcare workers. And so it was um, two weeks ago, Saturday, uh, she and I sat down and we started the project the same way we do all of our projects, uh, which is doing some sketches. And then we went to the computer, and the two of us sat there sort of modeling out what we had sketched out. And we sent it to the 3D printer. And we took it off, and it was a disaster, as all first prototypes are. Um, <laughs> it's just part of the process. Um, Sunday, we woke up, and we drank a little too much coffee, and we uh, did six more prototypes that day. Um, and we knew that it was important that it wrap fully around the face, that it come all the way down below the chin, um, that it seal tightly against the forehead, and... Um, you know, one of one of our passions when we're not making machines is actually making printer or making furniture with our printers, uh, chairs, uh, tables, benches, stools, that kind of thing. And so we've we've worked with the like the proportions of the human body and the sort of range there before. Um, and so we we you know we wanted to make sure that it was something that was comfortable on the head and wasn't going to flop around. So we we came up with this design where you have an elastic band that wraps around the bottom of the head, comes up around the top of the head, and tightens so that it's nice and comfortable. Stephanie, from a from a technical perspective, you know Isaac mentions this idea coming together and the face shield being something that really would play well, you know, with using your three D printing technologies. Give us uh, your perspective and your description. How exactly does this technology work? Because I think some people are still a little bit confused when they hear, you know, 3D printing and they're maybe not quite sure of, of the technology. It's not as, you know, widespread as, you know, you industry experts have, have come to expect, you know, working with this on a daily basis. But how does it go from, you know, the instructions that you, you tell it to print up to actually getting a finalized face shield that can be used and worn by our healthcare workers? Sure. So um, if you take a can of whipped cream, and you have a piece of pie on a plate, and you um, take the can of whipped cream and put whipped cream on the pie layer by layer by layer until it's a huge mountain on the pie. That's basically what 3D printing is, um, only a lot more technical and a lot less tasty. Um, <laughs> so basically, 3D printers, um, it's a layering process. It has an X, Y, and a Z. Um, and the X and Y are usually across and over, and then the Z is height. So what it does is it just prints layer by layer by layer on top of each other until you have an object. And so your company uh, is, is basically printing up the plastic visor part of it, correct? And then is, so how does it go? Take me through this distribution part of it then, because we mentioned, and for our folks who are listening these numbers are staggering. Isaac and Stephanie were sharing with us that starting on Tuesday, they're expecting to be able to deliver and produce more than a thousand face shields per day 
and there have and this is just for the central new york you know community that they're talking about in their local facility doing a thousand face shields per day globally there have been requests coming in for that have totaled more than 230,000 interested requests for these face shields so clearly isaac this is something that has a great demand and a crossover appeal how does this get distributed then once your company budman you know prints up the visors take me from there well so i i guess we should back up a little um it it was two weeks ago that we did the first design um we we donated the first 50 um and so we we weren't sure how to get a hold of the county executive's office um and what what we did was we reached out to a, a friend who had worked with that office before told them hey we have 50 of these we're not even sure if they need them um you know they might be well prepped since the testing center is just opening today um and we got a call back on tuesday um early in the morning from the county exec's office um one of the folks up there on the emergency management team who said hey uh we heard you have 50 face shields we said yeah um and they said can you make 300 more and then Steph and I sort of looked at each other and we were like, well, um, we'll of figure it out. Sure. Um, so we did that. And what happened was um, the local paper here, Syracuse.com, um, they, they ran an article just talking about how, how this had happened. And this extraordinary thing happened where our website um, was bombarded and our email account was bombarded. And um, we had all of these requests coming from around the globe, uh, which now add up to that 240,000 um, number of face shields requested. Um, and I mean, that's all over the planet. Um, and so these were all healthcare workers from Brazil, Japan, Denver, Colorado, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Seattle, Washington, Boston, Massachusetts, New York City. Um, it's, it, these were healthcare workers all over. Who have been who who are are short on personal protective equipment and want face shields. Um, at the same time, hundreds of people started to come forward saying, "Hey, I have a 3D printer. I can help." And and that was an even bigger distribution. I mean, and we're talking not just businesses. We're talking teachers. We're talking students. We're talking librarians, small businesses, maker spaces. It's it's been an incredible who who sort of come out of the woodwork all over the globe to say, hey, I can make them for my community here. Um, so that's when we, we sort of had to take a step back for a second and say, well, you know, our task of printing 300 of these has just gotten a lot bigger. Um, and so we, I think the best way Steph and I can sort of describe it at the moment is we're running both a global and a local operation. Um, and Steph, do you want to sort of explain what we're doing with all those requests? Sure. So. Um we are taking all of these requests and we're trying to connect them to the people, the teachers, um, the people who have stepped up, who have 3D printers in their locality. And we're trying to connect the two. So let's say there's a hospital in New York City that needs 100,000. We are trying to connect them to um, all of these people with 3D printers who are willing to help in that area um, so that they can deliver and, and they can connect with each other. So that's that's just on like the, the that's so we're basically running two operations and Steph um, with the help of, of actually one of the Syracuse professors, Dr. Ken Marfilius, have been 
basically running that global operation um, remotely with a whole team of volunteers because those requests are coming in fast and there's lots of folks registering fast. And so it's really like a grassroots manufacturing effort. Um, you know, that's this massive distributed system of people who are all at home with 3D printers willing to help their communities. And so it's it's sort of like we're using these communities in their in their geographic area and saying, look, this hospital needs, they just requested this. This hospital just requested this many. This nursing home just requested this many. And, and Steph and Dr. Marfilius and that whole, all of our volunteers there have been doing an incredible job. On our local front, right here in central New York, um, Steph and I were able to deliver the 300 to the county, um, but what happened was um, there was this sort of overwhelming um, and incredible response from the upstate New York community. Um, what happened was we had the Greater Syracuse Soundstage, which is typically a stage reserved for making Hollywood movies. Um, they called and said, hey, we have a 50,000 square foot space. How many of these need to be made for our area? Because you guys can just use it as an assembly floor, whatever you need. Um, the American High Film Studios, uh, run by Jeremy Gerlich, uh, that moved here to Liverpool, New York, they called us and said, hey, we got a bunch of out-of-work filmmakers because we can't make movies right now, but our folks are great at logistics. Um, we, could, we, could, we could get volunteers. We could get people there 24-7 to run printers, like whatever Whatever has to happen, we can organize it. Um, and then, so that was on Monday this week. Uh, we, we moved our 14 printers over to that space. They've been running 24-7 since Monday. Um, and every request that we're getting out of Central New York is being delivered to uh, by the volunteers at that center that we set up. Um, and so as of yesterday, uh, we have been able to deliver over 1,500 face shields to Onondaga County and the surrounding geographic area, basically all of central New York, as far west as Utica, or sorry, as far west as Rochester, as far east as Utica, um, down to Tompkins County, and all the way up to Oswego. This has gone, this, this really seems like it's exploded um, in, in a good sense with the community all coming together, you know, both here in central New York and, and around the world. Stephanie, are, were you taken aback or surprised at all at just how quickly this went from a grassroots movement to a worldwide effort? It, it is amazing and also heartwarming. Um, basically, our website has crashed so many times because of the number of requests coming in, because of the number of people wanting to help. Um, Isaac and I have barely had 10 seconds to stop and reflect on it. Um, we've had people from Australia, from Mexico, from the Netherlands, um, all across the globe, either wanting to help or in need of um, face shields. There was a 13-year-old um, a in the Netherlands that messaged us, and um, he has a 3D printer in his own home. He asked his parents if he could help. They said, yeah, go ahead. Um, but his 3D printer was too small to print the entire visor. And so he wanted to print just the clips in the back um, that go across the elastic. He messaged us and he said, hey guys, like I really wanna help. Um, I'm gonna print 50 of these and send them your way. 
please, please distribute them. Um, so they're on our way to our PO box right now, and it's just so incredibly heartwarming to see people young and old um, step up and, and are willing to help. That's touching. I mean, that's so inspiring that a, a young teenager in the Netherlands who you never would have had any sort of contact or communication with were it not for this unfortunate pandemic known as the coronavirus is reaching out to you and trying to see what he can do in his hometown in the Netherlands to help out and give back to his people that are, you know, anyone who might be hurting from this or might be vulnerable to this or making sure that the healthcare workers have what they need. That is so inspirational. And, and, and Isaac, I know that you, you've mentioned the word several times, you know, that it's, it's, it's a collaboration, it's a coming together. And, you mentioned some of the local companies that have pitched in. I also want to take a little moment before you go any further to talk about Ken Marfilius from Syracuse University and the great work that one of our talented faculty members um, in social work has done on this project. How would you explain the role that Ken has played and how the three of you have all worked together um, to get this launched? <laughs> um, critical? Is that the right word, Steph? <laughs> Um, Ken, Ken is a, so he's, he's a, he's a former vet. Um, he's, he's worked extensively in uh, veterans mental health. Um, he's a, uh, he and his wife are both Syracuse alum. Um, their cat is named Otto, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but they are, you know, there are, there are closest friends in the world. And, um, I don't know that we could have done any of this, uh, without, the sort of immense support that he's offered in terms of helping organize and jump in. I mean, uh, the three of us have been working consistently over 14 hour days for the last two weeks. Uh, while he's also managing uh, to take the time with his students that are all remotely and make sure that they have everything they need and that um, he's, he's teaching the classes that he he's teaching. Um, I mean, am I, am I leaving anything out there, stuff? Um, Ken has played such a critical role in all of this. He, um, he's also a dad too. So he's, you know, trying to take care of his little daughter. His wife is pregnant. Um, he has a lot on his plate, but he has definitely been with us and helped move us from the 300 in the basement to a global effort. Now, and, and again, that's, it's great to hear the, one of the things I always tell people who aren't Syracuse university alumni, uh, being a proud 2003 alumnus and you guys from the class of 2012, you know, we, we all know what Syracuse alumni, they will do anything to help each other out. There's that power of the orange network. And I just feel like this example is it, it epitomizes that selflessness. You guys are talking about working around the clock. You know, you go from this, you know, great, even if you had only produced 300 of these face shields, that would have been a success. That would have been a victory to at least do your part to give back. The fact that you're talking about 240,000 plus global requests you know, for these face shields, you're putting healthcare facilities um, in touch with people who can print and produce and replicate the instructions and the downloads for these face shields. Isaac, it's unbelievable. It really, you know, I, I'm overwhelmed just thinking about the work that you guys are doing on the front lines to help out and make sure that our healthcare workers stay safe. How have you how has this response impacted you, Isaac, when you look at this company that, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you guys, I'm sure were doing great work, but this is really meaningful and impactful 
work that Budman Industries is a part of, that's got to be very special to you. One of the things that I want to make very clear is that the folks on the front lines are the healthcare workers. Um, everything we're doing here is to support them. Um, you know, these are one of the things that has come from this whole thing is we spent a lot of time on the phone with a lot of healthcare workers. Um, and, and to sort of answer your question about how it's impacted us, um, the, I, I don't know that I can understand that I can overstate just how amazing these people are who are out there treating patients and, and keeping our nation and our planet healthy um, as, as they combat this disease. We've talked to so many of them and they are, they've talked to us about how they're left with this choice because of the personal protective equipment shortage of either walking into a room with no protective equipment to treat a patient and putting themselves, their family at risk and the sort of incredible stress of that moment and how because of who they are and because of the decisions they've made, they don't have a choice. They're going to walk in and they're going to treat the patient because that's why they became a healthcare worker in the first place. And it's, it's, you know, they're worried for their families and they're worried for their health and they're worried for their parents and their children. And these are just extraordinary people. And I think, you know, as we've talked to them and we've heard the urgency in their voice, um, their urgency has become our urgency. And so um, I, 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 I think after those first 300 or in that process, as we started to hear from these healthcare workers, um, the choice was sort of left behind for Steph and I, because when you hear that call from someone for help, I think it's just human nature. I think it's, it's like our sixth sense to reach out and help someone. Um, and, and so I think that's kind of where we, we came into this and, and, um, haven't been, uh, haven't stopped because it's, it's until, until they have what they need, if there is something we can do to continue to help, I mean, these are, these are the people on the front lines who are ex extraordinary individuals. And you're right, Isaac. And, and obviously you're doing your part and your company's doing your part to give them the tools that they need to, to survive and, and to stay alive and to continue to do these heroic efforts to keep our, our citizens safe in light of this terrifying and, uh, and as of right now, you know, pandemic uh, type of virus that is running rampant throughout throughout the world. These face shields, um, what's really cool about them is obviously they're, you know, they're, they're useful. They can be deployed at testing sites where healthcare workers are checking patients for the coronavirus. You mentioned uh, there's a site in the city of Syracuse being owned and operated by Onondaga County uh, where the face shields are going to be deployed for these healthcare workers. Stephanie, I know that we hear all the time about the PPE shortages that our healthcare workers are facing in this effort to fight the coronavirus. Can you describe literally these face shields, how they protect and how they help keep safe our healthcare workers? Of course. Um, so the face shields um, themselves have a, a PETG or an acetate sheet um, in front of them. And what they do is they just protect from um, droplets or if some, a, a patient coughs or sneezes. It's just an added layer of protection on top of the N95 masks and um, all of the other PPE that the first responders are wearing. 
And it seems like, you know, and, 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 and that's, it's great to have that clarification because I think people sometimes there's still this maybe confusion out there about a face shield and a face mask. What's the difference? And the fact that, you know, the face shield is, is the outermost layer that serves as that, you know, first line of defense to keep all of the, if someone coughs, if there's droplets, which are the most vulnerable way for this, you know, virus to spread, these face shields are an essential tool to make sure that our, our again, our healthcare workers are staying so safe and so healthy in their battles to keep people, you know, immune or protected rather from this, this virus. This came together so quickly, Isaac, I'm sure there had to be some kinks or some items to troubleshoot. Uh, what were some of those concerns or workarounds you guys had to come up with in a hurry to, uh, to get this project staying on track? Um, so one of them I can think of right from the beginning um, was the, with the clear face shield, um, just in our own little assembly process here, right? When it was just Steph and I um, was, you know, we had looked at die cutting or like using a plotter to cut the plastic material. Um, and then we thought about, um, you know, maybe there's a laser cutter in the area that we could have somebody use this and cut the shields out. But then we started thinking about, you know, let's, we got to do 50 of these. How do we do it fast? Um, and how do we do it efficiently? And so one of the things we came up with is the face shield itself, the clear part, right, that attaches to the printed visor. Um, we actually designed to use a one-fourth inch hole punch, which you probably have sitting on your desk. Um, because, you know, in, now all you have to do is cut a cut that giant roll of, of plastic down to 9 inches by 12 inches, punch some holes in it, and then it can pop on. Um, and as we're, as we're hearing from the healthcare workers, um, the, the, the piece that needs to be replaced most often is that shield. Um, and the visor, um, they've been able to disinfect in a couple of hospitals. And um, so they're disinfecting the visor. They're giving it a like an ethanol solution bath, and then um, they are putting a fresh new shield on there, and it just pops on because of those four um, hole punched holes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was one of the things early on. Uh, the other thing, just you know, to to sort of up to, um, on our local operation here. Um, so, you know, we've got 60 volunteers over at the Syracuse soundstage. Well, not all at once. At any given time, there's only four volunteers there because of, you know, practicing good social distancing um, and making sure that that's as disinfected a, a, a um, facility as possible. Um, but we've, we've got 60 volunteers over there who have all signed up to help. Um, and that operation is really going to take off next week. But one of the friction points that we found um, early on was figuring out how to deliver um, these face shields to hospitals, right? So that we can all make sure everybody's protected, um, especially our volunteers. And so early on, we figured out that it was critical to figure out who the exact point of contact was at the healthcare organization, communicate with them early about, you know, where's the drop-off point? What's the best way to handle this? Um, you know, we don't want to send our volunteers into the facilities um, if, if we don't have to. Um, and I'm sure you don't want more people coming in than you, than you need to. So I think sort of figuring out the delivery system um, was, was something that, that took us a, a little bit of time, but it's, it's been up and running great. Now, obviously, with, with this enterprise here, with this venture, it's going to continue. As you mentioned, you'll, you'll do everything you can to keep 
producing and providing these essential face shields to our healthcare workers. If someone's listening and just wants to get involved in helping out for this cause, um, are, how can people, let's say they have a 3D printer in their home, or let's say they they work for a hospital and they're really seeking these reinforcements and, and new supplies of face shields, how can people get in touch with Budman Industries to either put a request in or either to offer to help or to be seeking more of the supplies to come their way? Sure. So all they need to do is go to budman.com. That's B-U-D-M-E-N.com. And then just on our front page, um, there's an area where you can start printing today. You can download all of the specs and the instructions, the templates needed to assemble. Um, Right further down from that, you can request shields. There's a button that says register to request. And then there's also a button that says register to produce these. Um, And then we will have a database. um, And from that database, we will connect these first responders to those willing to produce these face shields. And if I can add to that, um, John, we, if, if, if our alumni at Syracuse want to get involved in the local effort um, here in Onondaga County and upstate New York, um, we are running a GoFundMe um, that is going exclusively to materials. Um, so, you know, uh, this past week we had a, a group, um, PPC Belden out of DeWitt, step in and donate an injection mold uh, based on our 3D printed parts, um, which will allow us to produce a thousand a day next week. Um, the county is estimating that the needs of the area are going to be 5,000 face shields a week. Um, and based on the amount we've raised from the GoFundMe, um, and all of that, again, is going right to materials, uh, we should be able to donate about 7000 um, over the next week and a half. Which would help, uh, obviously, put a dent. It's it, it's worrisome, though, when you hear those numbers, Isaac, that this has to continue, that this is, if it's the worst-case scenario, we need to continue to see you know, the, the money coming in and, and the, the partners willing to volunteer to serve as printers and just to really do their part. So give us that GoFundMe address too. Is that through, is that on the Budman Industries website or is there a direct way you can go to access that? If so if you go to Budman.com, you scroll all the way down, you'll see the link to the GoFundMe. Well, please alumni, do your part, whether you want to serve as a as a printer yourself, whether you're in the healthcare work industry and you really have a, a need at your hospital, um, go visit the company's website, go support and donate uh, through GoFundMe because the fact that you're able to do 7,000 plus face shields over the next you know, seven to 10 days that are donated totally free uh, to where they're needed is awesome. And again, it's inspiring and you guys are doing great work out there. Um, Isaac, I'm sure you imagined this being the purpose of your company when you and your, when you and Stephanie founded um, Budman back in 2017, right? Uh, not at all. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, Stephanie and I, um, we, we both, um, we love doing creative work. And um, when we started Budman Industries. Um, our goal was, you know, when you're when you're an artist, when you're a designer, um, when you're an architect, when when you're a creative professional or just a creative individual, um, true mastery of your craft or your art is understanding the relationship of the tools and the materials you are working with, and how they relate to the expressive ideas in your head, right? Um, and 
Stephanie and I um, were, were deeply interested in creating tools, right, so that our creative ideas um, could have sort of a direct impact over the tools. So the way we look at it is, you know, um, there's this sort of cycle between imagination and technology or imagination and tools, art and technology. And creative ideas challenge technology to do things that it wasn't intended to do. Um, and technology, as, as you develop it, um, opens up new creative possibilities. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's sort of this cycle that's gone on for as long as humanity's been around. And we wanted to be able to sort of live at the intersection of those two. We wanted to be able to make the tools, challenge our creative ideas with them, and then take those creative ideas and develop new tools based on these sort of questions we were asking. I would say you're certainly accomplishing that goal nowadays with, again, this modern day crisis in response to the to the coronavirus. Um, it's great the fact that you guys both are, you know, are Syracuse alumni. Isaac, you studied policy studies um, in Maxwell. Stephanie, I know you were uh, involved with photography and, and Newhouse. What, Steph, I'll start with you, Stephanie, first. What about Syracuse made that the place you wanted to go for your education? Um, well, Obviously, Newhouse is one of the best communication schools in the country, and I wanted to go to a school where I could get the best education. Um, and it was through Syracuse that that happened. And how about Isaac for yourself? With, with policy studies, you were also a four-year member of the rowing team here with athletics. What made Syracuse want to be the place you wanted to go? Well, <laughs> just thinking about, uh, honestly, John Rowing. Um, I, I met the guys on the team up at Syracuse there, and um, they were a group of individuals, including Dr. Marfilius, um, who all wanted to um, do something special. Um, they wanted to, to, you know, put Syracuse on the map and, and, and make a make a dent um, with the work they were doing. And I met those guys on my official visit, and I. It, it didn't matter where I'd looked after that. I, I, I felt a calling and I wanted to be a part of that. And I, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to do my time as a, in, in my orange Jersey. And, um, it, 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 it was, it was one of the most meaningful experiences in my life. Isaac was of course a, uh, we'll give people some insight. He, not, he wasn't only just on the rowing team. He was a coxswain uh, for the rowing team. And for people that might not know what that role is, Isaac, how would you describe the role a coxswain plays for the rowing team? The coxswain is like the conductor of the orchestra. Uh, you have eight people in a boat um, who have to be in perfect timing. Um, you are sort of like, um, you're like their life coach, their technical coach, um, their teammate. Um, it's, it's, it's a delicate balance of um, making sure that everything that has to happen is happening. Um, just to keep the boat moving, but then you know also the strategy as you're flying down the race course, um, making the changes that have to be made, um, adapting to the moves that other teams are making, um, and you know also executing on the plan that the team has been working towards for years. Um, so it's 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 sort of like being the conductor of the orchestra. How um how Stephanie did you two come in touch? How did you guys get to meet each other in the first place? Um, we actually met each other. I would say January, Isaac, January 2011. Um, so a long time ago. 
We we met each other we, and we became fast fast friends. Yeah, so we 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 both did an internship um, over the summer in 2011. Um, Steph was working, I think, at the Newhouse Labs. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And I was working at Manly Fieldhouse in the NC2A office. Um, and you know, the Syracuse campus in the summer is a pretty quiet place. So we just we spent a lot of time together. Um, we 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 went to we, like we went on walks and we just talked a lot and um we went to a drive-in movie theater and um we just we spent a summer together that you know were <laughs> some of the happiest m- memories of my time in college uh, yeah it's great to hear how that orange love you know kind of blossomed and bloomed between the two of you and now obviously you know you guys are are co-founding this company, Budman Industries, that really is making a big difference in, in our communities. You know, Stephanie, if I had told you back in 2011 when you had first started coming in contact with Isaac, that not only would you guys enter into a business partnership, but that you would have a have a romantic uh, interest as well, you know, was, would that have surprised you? Because it seems like you guys are really, you know, life partners and people that are are there for each other to support, you know, these initiatives and and just to be there for each other. That's so cool and so special. I. I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I thought that I would, you know, go to New York City and be a photographer. Um, life happens, though. Uh, we all evolve and we all become better people as we age. And I honestly wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> and and uh, so I'm 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 going to talk her up for a second here because it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, but she was actually a pastry chef out in Chicago for a while, which explains why she used whipped cream as the explanation for 3D printing. Uh, but but Steph was actually a pastry chef out in Chicago for a couple of years where uh, we were pen pals and FaceTime pals. Yes, a long distance uh, challenge out there. And of course, now, you know, we know the the story so far with you guys, again, having this great company, Budman Industries. And, and, and Isaac, I want to I want you to talk a little bit about your um, your your passion for inventing, because when you and I talked off air, you kind of mentioned that, you know, you're a policy studies major here. Maxwell has a great program for that, but that's not what you're doing now. I mean, there's a little bit of policy in the fact that you're working with some healthcare uh, people and some other community partners to make sure that these face shields do get distributed properly, but inventing, why has that always been a passion of yours? Um, so when I was a little kid, like a, like a little, little kid, um, at like three, four years old, um, I just was drawn to taking things apart and putting things together. Um, that was my end all be all is my favorite thing in life. And, um, my parents loved to tell a story about my my grandparents had one of those mechanical beds, uh, like the zoom up and then the zoom back down. Um, and as a kid, I thought that was just the, like the, the neatest thing I'd ever seen. So um, being who I was, I climbed under the bed and I started unscrewing things to figure out how it all worked. And I managed to get it apart, but never managed to get it back together again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my grandparents and my parents weren't happy with me. Um, but as as a kid, I, I would I would just walk around and, um, you know, uh, my favorite thing to say to my parents was "necked it," right? "Necked it." Put, and I would I would hand them two things that would never go together in a million years, and I would want them to to help me put them together for some wild invention. Um, and uh, that's always just been a passion of mine. You know, if you'd asked five year old me 
uh, who who he wanted to be when he grew up, he would have told you an inventor. Um, and uh, you know, I I don't know that the I, I think about policy too, right? Because that was what my education was, and and part of what drew me to the policy program while I was there is is that you know um, Professor Bill Copeland advertised it as um, skills, not stuff. And you know, invention is is really just sort of taking the skills you have and, and putting things together. And, and in some ways, I think policy is similar too, right? I mean, policy is connecting things, right? Groups of people, um, different ideas. Um, and so I think uh, it was sort of a natural place to end up there. Um, but ultimately, my, my sort of mechanical inclinations won out. <laughs> so. Well, I know, uh, hopefully, you know, this, again, this response to the coronavirus that your, your company has been partnering with, it's, 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 it's tremendous. And I, I hope that there's a time in the near future where we're able to get through this. And I'm wondering, Stephanie, uh, if, if there's any wishlist projects that you might have with, with Budman and with the 3d printers for once, you know, things kind of settle down, any kind of to-do lists, any sort of bucket list projects you'd like to see the company address. So, John, something about me is I make to-do lists galore. We, um, so, Isaac had mentioned the patent on our large-scale printer. We, um, we wanted to bring it to market this summer. So, when COVID-19 is over, we're going to get back to um, bringing the large-scale 3D printer to market. Um, so, that's one of our projects. And then also, because I was a pastry chef, we even made our own um, food 3D printer. So I would like to get back to that and keep making 3D printed food. Um, lots of projects that we're always thinking of. Um, but right now, our focus is just these, these, these 3D printed face shields. Well, again, for more information on Budman Industries, go to budman.com. That's B-U-D-M-E-N.com. The great work being done by Isaac Budman and Stephanie Keefe. Guys, thank you so much for stopping by the Cuse Conversations podcast today. It's been a pleasure and a privilege talking with both of you, and we wish you nothing but the best. John, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. Yeah.